You're listening to the B-Side Podcast on Brick Radio. If you like what you hear or think there's an artist or band we should have in the studio, let us know in the comments. Otherwise, sit back, relax, tune in, and turn on. Choose a job you love, and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Tonight's guest has seen many successes, but perhaps his greatest is the freedom to live his lifelong dream as a full-time musician. A multi-instrumentalist with an unwavering commitment to musical creativity, Edson Sean has made the sonic fusion of hip-hop and soul feel effortless. He's here today with his super band, The Experience, to give us a taste of their authentic musicality. I'm your host, Kenyatta Beasley, and don't move because Edge and Sean and The Experience are about to give you their everything right here on B-Side. Sean and I'm here with the experience and as Kenyatta so eloquently said this is what I consider a super band because everybody is a band leader in their own right we have the songstress Miss Aaron Maya yeah <laughs> <laughs> we have MC extraordinaire BD3 yeah and if you notice the spelling of the experience is a three in it we represent the three vocal headliners we have my man Charles Harp on trombone yeah and we have Hash on bass. Mm -hmm. And we have my man Justin Sweeney just on drums. And we make up the experience. So uh, um, my first question is how did this wonderful conglomeration of musicians <laughs> come to be? So uh, BD3 actually was doing a release for one of his projects mm -hmm. and we collaborated because he wanted a band for it, but he wanted to have something that would tie in all aspects of our creation. So he's an MC. And I'm the hybrid where MC and singer, and we wanted another soul singer to join us on the bill. Mm -hmm. So we, the two of us were going to be the openers, and we were going to close the BD3 set. Now, the gel was just so good, we were like, how can we make this happen again? <laughs> we, started, we started, you know, uh, rehearsing together. We did, I think, another gig at uh, Come On Everybody. Right. And then uh, I remember the funny part was uh, the name, the experience. And coming up with that, and we were like texting back and forth. There's like so many different variations of the name. And then we finally came up with the experience, and we put the three in there to represent the three headliners. Cool. Um, let's set up the next song, because I really want to guzz. Okay. You know, word, word. People want to hear more music than hear okay. us talking, in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to, you know, when, when, when you're done, I want to uh, start talking about your upbringing in Brooklyn and more Absolutely. of your story. Okay, cool. So you can set up the next song for us. So this next song actually is um, 
a very personal one because mm. uh, it deals with the relationship with me and my dad. It wasn't, you know, the best, but a lot of what we went through and experienced and things he taught me stay with me to this day. Mm -hmm. And so this song is called Soaring Eagle because the eagle was his favorite animal. So, Edson, man, you're from Brooklyn. Yes, I am. What part? Uh, all over. I was what born parts? in Crown Heights, <laughs> lived in Park Slope. Mm -hmm. I taught in Brownsville, uh, lived in East New York for a little bit. Right now, I'm currently in Flatbush, so literally all over. So, I mean, life in Brooklyn, because I'm listening to your music, and it seems as if you have a lot of R&B influence, yes, soul absolutely. influence, and hip-hop influence. And, and it, it sounds like the music <laughs> of, you know, what New York, you know, was. Yes. You know, as we were all coming up. So, I mean, how was life for you, you know, musically, uh, growing up in uh, in Brooklyn? Oh man, I had so many musical influences. My family came from a musical background. My granddad, he was a choir director. He forced all of his children to sing. My mom, her uncle, you know, her brother. Um, was that passed down? Was that passed down to you? I mean, pretty much because <laughs> I remember on Saturdays we would be at my uncle's house, mm -hmm. and he would be playing everything from ska to Harry Belafonte, to all the classic R&B records. Mm -hmm. um, and we would be sitting on the stairs watching all the old folks dancing. You know, <laughs> that, that, and, and it's just so funny because it resonates with me now as I'm like, you know, those are the things that have influenced me musically because I listen to so much music and I try to incorporate all of that into my creation because I just love the sounds of all of those. So um, you're, you're from a musical family and you play how many instruments? Right now, right now, I said right now because I plan to learn more. Well, right now it's um, the keys, mm -hmm. mainly um, bass and guitar. I stay with, I let Justin do the drums. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, uh, the, 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 the vocal ability and the rapping ability, I mean, yeah. you, it's this hybrid kind of thing that you're presenting that represents yeah. what, soul and hip hop. And exactly. like, if I'm not mistaken, you, you call the music that you represent Hip-hop soul, Hip-hop yeah. soul. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, growing up, and so who were some of your musical influences? Mm. First and foremost, Stevie Wonder. That's the, for me, that's the vocal bible. Mm -hmm. um, Stevie Wonder, um, I remember Big Daddy Kane, 1988. Yeah. I know I'm dating myself, but that was my first tape. <laughs> that was my first tape, and my mom didn't even know. I don't even know if she's watching right now, but she didn't know that I somehow was able to, to buy this tape. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like my first... Cause I mean, I listened to hip hop, you know, on the radio and in passing. But when I heard that album, Long Live the Kane, that was the first album I heard was like, okay, I think I want to do this, mm -hmm. you know. And so, Stevie Wonder, Big Daddy Kane, uh, Marvin Gaye, uh, Sam Cooke. I mean, there's just so many, you know. And then as I got older, you know, um, The Roots is a big influence because I felt like they were doing what I heard music as, like where it wasn't just mm -hmm. samples and rapping, like it was a musicality. Live band, mm -hmm. live band elements. So did you play any instruments? I mean, did, did you um, further your studies as musical studies in high school? Well, yes, I did in high school. I started playing uh, piano maybe at like seven. Didn't like it, didn't like practicing. I wanted to be able to hear something and just play it. 
Right. You know, right. but my you know my mom put me in. But I I thank her, I thank her, I thank her so much for it. Because as I got older, I appreciated that. So did your mom introduce you to the discipline that it would actually take to actually she, to be a, to that, be yeah, a solid she, she performer? Did, yeah, she attempted that. And I guess that's you know <laughs> I, I can say attempted because back then I really wasn't hearing it. But now it was like I understood it. And so those same things that she was telling me like practice, play it slow first, and then you can speed it up. Like those are things that I use now. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, but yeah, uh, I played the upright bass in high school in orchestra. Okay. I played that. And the funny thing about that is I never liked using the bow. What high school? Midwood. I went to Midwood. Okay. Midwood High School. Okay. Uh, I never liked using the bow. I wanted the, I wanted Pizzicato with it, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> is that like a warning to be like a jazz upright yeah, bass player? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, but again, these are things that as I got older and I became, you know, a musician because I wanted, you know, really wanted to. I appreciate those things and studying classical and understanding, you know, just the the, the construct of music and how it works together. Like those are things I always appreciate. I still prefer pizzicato though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out why you would leave the bass, man. I mean, you know what? I didn't leave the bass because I had a actually I had a band that I was playing with called Two Shades Darker. Um, and this was maybe when I was teaching right. still. So, right. And I was playing bass in that because we had a, a guitarist, a drummer, and you know sometimes I would, we didn't have a bass player at the time, and so I would play bass until we finally got one. But I, I, the bass is still my favorite instrument. Okay. Still my favorite instrument. So uh, I want to get back to more of your, you know, your okay. coming to prominence. Okay. Uh, but can you set us up with the, um, your next song? Absolutely. So the next song, I like to do songs about things that people can relate to, mm -hmm. inner conflicts, love. Everything that I create is in the, is the foundation of it is love. It's self-love, love of someone else, lost love, love gone wrong, love of where you're from. Right. And so this song is kind of like a self-love song, but it's about the conflict that we have inside mm -hmm. called the war. If you came to party with me, let me say all right, all right, say all right, yeah. So whenever anyone tells you to dim your light, you just tell them, I'm going to shine bright. So repertoire, what I want you to do, this is what we like to do when we perform. We like crowd participation. So when I say shine bright, you say shine bright. So I'm going to shine bright. Shine bright. I'm going to shine bright. I'm going to shine bright. I'm going to shine bright. Yeah. Shine bright. Limelight is yours. So after you leave Midwood, you mm -hmm. went on to college. Yes, sir. Logical progression. Logical progression. <laughs> uh, in college, did you, did you study music? I didn't. I studied biology. Oh, well, so did you always have a love for biology? Uh, I did. You know, I always, so my three is science, music, uh, math. Okay. So I always liked science, but, you know, coming from a West Indian family background. Guyanese, right? Guyanese, yes. You have to have something that uh, you can fall back on. Right. right, you need some uh, a solid foundation, right? Of course. So um, that was my solid foundation. If you know, again, if I had to do it again, I probably would take some music courses, but I don't know. But I don't know if majoring in it because I've had such a great musical experience learning on the job, right. other dope musicians, and right. picking up things like that. Like you know, that for me was part of my journey. So you never took any any music classes yeah. in colleges. No. So it was it was no. There's a lot of it was just. Picking it up, you know, after I left school, mm -hmm. I was working with a producer and, you know, 
so, and I think this is the story of some musicians. You get with a producer and they give you a track, they give them to 10 other people, and when it's time to get in their studio, somebody's in your studio time. Just little things like that. So I was like, you know what? I need to start producing my own stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, and I started um, a little sampling, but then I met up with this guy, Chris Lowry, this trumpet player. Amazing. Yeah, yeah the Lowry and, brother. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. They used to be in Brooklyn for a little bit now, yeah. yeah so yeah. Chris, he showed me so much because he studied under Donald Burke. And so he's right. just the little, you know, the theory that he showed me was like, okay, based off of that, I can now create what I hear in my head. You know, because trying to recreate it, and you can get close, but the theory helps you get there faster. Right. You know, and so. So you went on from college, you were studying biology, and you become a teacher. A teacher, yes. For how long? Uh, I was teaching for about seven, yeah, seven, about seven, eight years. And, uh, and that was part of your fallback, you know, your fallback. That was part, that was part of the fallback. That was, you know, the safety net. Because I was always doing music, but it was always like, you know, you can't live off of that. Right. And so, so I mean, coming from like a, a family of like West Indian background, yes. that, that's probably the message that yeah. you're hearing. Quite My dad yet. was like, you can teach music. But, <laughs> right. you know, for me, that was, that's <laughs> right. like, it's, it's so sterile, you know. Right. And you mean in, in the construct of a school teaching. If you're teaching the people that are like master classes of studying. You know, like people when who I, want to be yes. there. Yes. Right. When I was, you know, I went overseas for a bit in 2009 mm -hmm. with um, Jazz and Lincoln Center's Rhythm Road. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was another eye-opening experience because I had that. Mm -hmm. You know, we were teaching each other, learning from each other, mm -hmm. and, you know, sharing our different musical experiences, influences, you know, and that type of setting. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, but the you know what the 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 day to day demands of teaching and having yeah. to you know do x amount of classes every day. Yeah. How did you feel not really having enough time and energy to actually do your creative pursuits? It was tough. It was tough. I think you know how the universe removes things from you when you don't willingly do it, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not always uh, neat and tidy, right? So you know I realized that teaching was eating up my creative time. I would come home and I would do a little bit, but I wasn't able to really get into it the way I wanted hey, to. You're mentally drained. When yeah, it's a lot. And then you got to come home, grade papers and lesson planning. And again, those are, these are some of the things that I was not good at as a teacher because I'm like, I want to focus on this. I want to go write some music. I got to write this lesson plan. You know, but again, the universe removes things from you when you, you don't follow your heart and your passion. And so um, there was a principal that was there and she got me out of the school, you know, <laughs> so was this the, the turning point? This was the turning point. Right. This was the turning point for me. Mm -hmm. She got me out of the school. I grieved it and lost the grievance because of the, the terms that she got me out of there. Um, but in that moment, I was able to now take advantage of the Jazz at Lincoln situation. So that was, let's say that was 2008. Mm -hmm. I got excess, I think, in May. And then by like February of the following year, at the top of 2019, I was able to do the... the Rhythm Road Tour. 2009 or? Uh, yeah, 2009. 19, we're not even there yet. 2009. So now you are in the future. <laughs> That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of my time, baby. You know. This cat is a visionary. A true visionary. <laughs> so that was the initial trigger that actually said yeah. you want. So yeah. was there a particular event as after you left teaching that said, you know what, I can do this? Yeah, after I left teaching, you know, I got on unemployment. I was like, okay, this gives me a little window and cushion to try to see what this feels like. Mm -hmm. And so it was myself and actually three other friends of mine, Denny Jackson, Chris Green, who's actually the videographer for a lot of my videos, mm -hmm. and um, DJ Pretty Nice. And we all went and auditioned for the Rhythm Road. And so it was that turning point. I'm like, okay, 
this is where this is where I need to go. So, so the um, doing rhythm roll with Jazz and Lincoln Center, how did you apply for that? Uh, we literally filled out the application, and we needed to have an education piece, and our education piece was finding your voice through music, mm -hmm. and how you know people when they first start doing music, you know, you emulate who you like. Right, but then there becomes a time when you have to decide, okay, what does my voice sound like? Mm -hmm. And so we were, that was our workshop, was teaching up-and-coming artists, rappers, MCs, singers, how to find their voice through music, whether it's their writing or their style of music. Yeah. That's odd because, you know, you, normally when I think about jazz in Lincoln Center, I think about like a, a real jazz purist background. So I know. You, you must have presented something yeah, that was we so, had, so basically so it was me on guitar. And we had the DJ, so he had like some break beats. I would play over that. Right. And we had a vocalist, she would sing, and Chris would MC, and he and I would MC while I'm playing. And, and so it was a cool, you know, dynamic. And then we would break down where the samples came from. You know, we broke down the history of hip hop, how yeah. it began when they took music out of the schools, and we still, because of our creative nature, found a way to make instruments out of turntables. Mm -hmm. And so. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you've also done like a lot of other things like the State Department as well, right? That was, yeah, that was through uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center, a lot of that. Okay. So a lot of those, the embassy work that we did was through the Jazz at Lincoln Center um, situation. Right, so what were your learning experiences as far as, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. you're in other countries? Yeah, yeah, we were in West Africa. We were in Mali, Togo, Ivory Coast, Mauritania. The thing that we learned most is the view that the outside world has of us. They have an MTV view in regards to music, in mm -hmm. regards to urban music. Right. And so we were trying to change some of that dynamic. What do you like, mean by MTV? So uh, basically, okay, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you one, a specific instance. So mm -hmm. there was this one rapper um, from, I think it was Ivory Coast. Mm -hmm. And he had on these white shades, <laughs> and on his shades it said Soldier Boy. He was Soldier Boy. I was like, hey, what's up, man? Oh, nice shades, yo, what up, my N? Yo, uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a good rapper, I, I study MTV. And that was just one instance of that. Right. So I tell him like, yo, that's cool. Everybody doesn't greet each other like that. Right. That's just one small <laughs> dynamic. No, listen, no, you know, because the thing is they, they feel like because that's their window into our world. No, yeah, and yeah. so, the, you know what I'm saying, they feel like that's, that's what we, that's how we all rap and greet each other and perform. It's like, yo, there's so many different aspects to music. And then we would show them that. And then we would play them our stuff. And then like this one song we had, we had a Stevie sample in it. And you know, they loved it. But I think they loved hearing and seeing firsthand, oh, this is what an, you know, an American artist is like. Cause they were like, yo, can you put me on? I'm trying to get on myself, brother. <laughs> you know, but it was, it was fun. It was fun. So as, you, as you're working in Africa and mm -hmm. other countries, did you take any of those other influences from what you're hearing? Because you know, you, you know, the, you're, you're in the motherland, or are you? Yeah, definitely. Any, any, any kind of rhythmical influences that, uh, that influence you? Absolutely. Even vocally, harmonically, what they do with their voices. I love how they're, they're, they have this, this vocal synergy. I don't know what to call it, but like when they sing together, you know, the way that they use their voices as another instrument. Mm -hmm. I came back here and I think, I don't even remember how many beats I made. And I'm like, okay, I'm using all of these instruments. I had a xylophone that I bought from there, and I started using that in some of my production. Mm -hmm. So even sounds, I was exploring more with different types of sounds. Mm -hmm. Sounds of the djembe even more. Mm -hmm. um, the kalimba, more back of kalimba, I was using that more. So it was definitely 
for me, that was, pro that was another pivotal moment musically for me. Mm -hmm. You know, to be in another country and experience how they create music, how they take our version of music and make it theirs. When it can't be won, I'm a champion. Just reach for me. No more no, who know you better than me. Give me just call my heart, my ear. Give me me just call. Thank you. So you know what? So so you're 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 back from Africa. Mm -hmm. I'm running down the timeline now. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and you're doing your thing, but you you suddenly decide to take up another day job. Yeah. So I was freelancing. I was doing some you know production and some engineering, mm -hmm. and um, I realized that this pursuit takes money. You know. Right. And so um. <laughs> a lot of the artists that I was servicing, and I wanted to continue to do that, were on my level where they had limited budgets, but they wanted a good sound. Right. You know, I was still trying to provide that for them. Right. But I realized, I'm like, okay, I need to have a timeline as to what I want to do, because I knew I didn't want to work for somebody else mm -hmm. long term. So I gave myself a five-year plan. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I need to get this nine-to-five job, five-year plan, save money, and then be able to give 110% right. into my craft. So I had taken the test, maybe... In 2008, 2008 was a lot of stuff going on in 2008. Mm -hmm. So 2008, I took the test for the MTA, and I forgot I took it until I got this notice in the middle. Like, hey, there's an <laughs> opening. And it came right in the time. I was like, man, what am I going to do? And I was like, oh, okay. So um, it was initially supposed to be for the, uh, the person in the booth. Right. But they didn't have anything open then, so they're like, well, we have this uh, station cleaner job that's available. You can take it. Right. I was like, okay. Um, this might be my five-year plan. Let me see what's up. The pay was, was, was pretty good. And so during that time, my goal was to really fine-tune and define my sound. Because I had an idea what I wanted to be, but I knew specifically how I'm going to create it every time I was going to work. Right. There's a process. Right. I created that process then, and I was saving money. I built a little modest studio. So I'm like, okay, now at the end of the five years, and I was one month shy of the five years when I walked away from it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even, when I was, I got to a point, I was like, man, I can't do this anymore. Because there were so many things that I wanted to take advantage of. I can only do one foot in, one foot out. Because I had this job, I got to request time, and sometimes they deny it. And, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when my coworkers are here, sometimes they're like, hey, where is he at? You know, because, <laughs> you know yeah. a lot of people, you know, and hearing your story was so remarkable is that the perseverance to, to, be, to be able to uh, be uh, a full-time musician, yeah. Because I actually read that in the open, um, and it, there comes a lot of risk with that. Absolutely. But I think the biggest, the biggest risk is actually believing in yourself and yes. knowing that you can actually pull this off. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people see musicians on the outside of, you know, hey, you know, they're he's he's doing this or she's doing right. that or playing with this, but they don't see the downtime that's Absolutely. between big gig here, big gig yeah. here, this kind of opportunity. Yeah. So for you. To, uh, to actually make that commitment, what, what you said right before that five-year mark, can something happen? Yeah, it was a matter of like, you know, you have moments of doubt. You know, and plus your family, you know, your, yeah. your family leans on you. Right, and that's the thing too, you know, 
So one of the things that did happen that really pushed me through, you know, um, to get out, mm -hmm. right? Um, my mom, she sometimes would bring it up. My, my um, uncle, her, her name was we called him Uncle Ari, but his name was Herbert Errington Bob Simple, very West Indian. <laughs> but he was an amazing keyboard player, and he had an album that he was working on, and he passed away before he could actually release it. Mm. You know, um, and so she's like, "Go ahead and do it." Her brother. Go ahead and do it. He told me, you never have enough money. It'll never be a good time to do it. Mm -hmm. Just go ahead and do it. And you figure it out along the way. You know, Steve Harvey, I like, you know, listen to some of the things he says. He's like, anybody who's made it, <laughs> anybody who's made it um, had to jump at some point. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be bumps and bruises on the way down, but you figure it out. You build a parachute on the way down. Mm. You know, and that's really what, that's how I'm living my life right now. Mm. You know, and there's been those bumps and bruises. Mm -hmm. You know, but I believe enough in myself. I believe in the, enough in the music I'm creating. I believe enough in the people that's creating music with me. Yeah. So I'm not by myself, mm -hmm. you know, and, and especially with this group right here, man, like, it's, it's really more like family. Omni Blaze? Yeah. Omni Blaze? <laughs> no, you said it right the first time. You said it right the first time. Omni Blaze. Nah. So, is it, you People know. People joking about that. I know, of course, of course. <laughs> I, listen, I, I definitely have people seriously say that. So, you know. So, basically, I threw the I in there. Because, you know, there's a time in hip hop when you had a name. You like, I can't spell stuff correctly. I got to throw something in there like a, a Z for an S. Let me throw an extra I in there. But the concept was, you know, <laughs> Omni being the prefix for all omnipresent, omniscient. All and Blaze being hot. I feel like everything I did and touched was hot. Everything you do is is hot. Omni Blaze. That's really where that came from. <laughs> you know. So, you know, but what hot <laughs> hot like fire. That's it, exactly. <laughs> so wait, so, so wait, wait, so what point did you say, you know what, let me go there? To yeah, you know, because it was a point where I didn't want an on-stage persona and an off-stage persona. You know, mm. I wanted to be the same on stage and off stage. Same person you're speaking to, you know. So, Edson and Sean are my two middle names. Yeah. Because my parents were generous enough to give me four. And so, <laughs> I used the two middle ones for my stage name. You know? ah. So, uh, most of the stuff that we're hearing tonight, is this from your, la your, your latest record or is this a conglomerate? So, this is a conglomerate. So, the first, the first joint you heard, matter of fact, yes, the first joint you heard, that's something that's new, that's unreleased. I wanted to, to play specifically mm -hmm. tonight. Especially because I knew certain people were gonna be here that really liked that song. Right. And um, you know, because I'm working on some newer material. The other project I released was in 2015. So mm -hmm. some of those songs you're hearing are from there. Mm -hmm. um, there's one another unreleased song, the Shine Bright record with myself and BD3. Mm -hmm. That one's unreleased as well. So mm -hmm. these are this is the new project that I'm working towards now. Right. Because what's happening, what initially was happening was I was gonna re-release the 2015 project because I felt there were songs on there 
that didn't get the legs that I would have liked, but I felt like they were really good songs and they had different places I felt like they could resonate and be placed. You know, mm -hmm. if you check out the project, there's a song called Wake Up about a lot of the police brutalities going on. Mm -hmm. um, there's a song called Flawless, just about, you know, women not always feeling their best, but their guy telling them, like, yo, you're flawless. I don't know what's wrong with these other guys that are telling you otherwise. Mm -hmm. So there was this, and then there's a, this flagship song I'm probably going to play at the end, mm -hmm. um, which is my Ode to Brooklyn. And mm -hmm. so these are individual songs that I'm going to work as individual projects now, because initially I was going to re-release that, but then now, I just been feeling really creative the last couple of weeks and I've been coming up with a lot of cool stuff that No Love Record is one of them. Do you feel as if it's more beneficial to maybe release things in like a, a single, like singles? Yeah. Or, or are we getting away from releasing like full records? You know what it is like now? I feel like singles are good, singles here and there. And you can put together compilations of those singles and make EPs. So I'm still trying to figure that piece out because mm -hmm. music consumption has changed so much right. with your Spotify's and streaming. Right. People are more likely to take a single and put it on a playlist right. as opposed to listen to an entire album. Right. So, you know, even The War, that, does, that doesn't have a project either, but I have, I'm working on creating a project around that because a lot of people can relate to the idea of the inner conflict between yourself, you know, with, with yourself. Mm -hmm. That's usually the hardest battle to win, mm -hmm. you know? So I have all these individual songs that I feel like can create movements behind them. And so that's really what I'm moving towards right now. Thank you, Edson Sean, for the experience. <laughs> Be sure to pick up Edson Sean's album, In the Pursuit of Magic which can be found wherever you buy or stream music. You can also keep up with Edson Sean on Instagram at Edson Sean. I'm Kenyatta Beasley, and I hope you've enjoyed yourself tonight. Be sure to stop by our Brick House studio every Thursday to hear more of the best music that Brooklyn has to offer. You can also check out tonight's installments and past episodes anytime at youtube.com slash bricktv or check out our Brick Radio podcast of this episode wherever you listen to podcasts. The B-Side Podcast is produced by Charlie Hoxie, Keisha Cole, Roe Johnson, and Sasha Mathias. Recorded by Onel Mulet and edited by Emily Bogosian. For more information on B-Side and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio. You like